0: Well, we continue our series called It's Still Easter today by picking up where Luke uh, leaves off in the resurrection appearances uh, in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. And Luke begins, on that same day, in other words, the day of the resurrection, two disciples were traveling to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. While they were discussing these things, Jesus himself arrived and joined them on their journey. They were prevented from recognizing him. He said to them, Why are you, what are you talking about as you walk along? They stopped, their faces downcast. The one named Cleopas replied, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who is unaware of the things that have taken place there over the past few days? He said to them, what things? They said to him, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, because of his powerful deeds and words, he was recognized by God and all the people as a prophet. But our chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. All these things happened three days ago, but there's more. Some women from our group have left us stunned. They went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body. They came to us saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who told them he is alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women said. They didn't see him. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, your dull minds keep you from believing all the prophets talked about. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then he interpreted for them all the things written about himself in the scriptures, starting with Moses and going through all the prophets. When they came to Emmaus, he acted as if he was going on ahead, but they urged him, saying, Stay with us. It's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. After he took his seat at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight They said to each other, weren't our hearts on fire when he spoke to us along the road and when he explained the scriptures to us? They got up right then and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying to each other, the Lord really has risen. He appeared to Simon. Then the two disciples described what had happened along the road and how Jesus was made known to them as he broke the bread. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My first experiences of the United Methodist communion practice really came um, while I was at Duke Divinity School and at some churches in my 20s. And what happened to me as I experienced our communion liturgy and communion practice was something different than what I had grown up with. Growing up, I was in the Baptist tradition, and and communion, when we experienced it, at least in my church growing up, was always a very somber occasion. Every time... um, Every time when we came to the table, which was the first Sunday of the month, like many churches do, uh, it, was, it was a very somber, uh, very much reminder of Good Friday every time we came to the table. The attitude was always really focused on the death of Jesus, which is obviously part of communion. There's nothing wrong with that, but that was kind of the focal point or the emphasis. But when I was in my 20s and when I was at Duke Divinity School participating in worship in our in our student chapel, I found this joy and delight at the words of the liturgy, not just the words when the bread was held up or the cup, but the words all around the liturgy, the, the prayer of confession and, and pardon that was part of it, or the passing of the peace, or the whole of the great thanksgiving. Different words each week popped out to me, made participating in communion feel alive and different? And what happened was that as I began to participate in this communion liturgy that was at that time particularly United Methodist to me, but also when I got part of other traditions, more Anglican and Episcopal type of settings or other traditions that leaned a little bit more heavily um, into some of those older liturgies, what I realized was that the sermon in that structure was not always the high point of worship. And a lot of our American practice, because of the great awakenings and tent revivals and everything like that, the sermon was placed as kind of the highest point of worship, right? We you kind of build up to it with music, prayers and everything, get to the sermon, and then pretty soon after the sermon, there might be a time to come to the altar and pray and send you underway, right? So, so that was kind of how worship was ordered. But in these services of communion, what we actually led to was was that the highest point of worship was in communion. God's presence and receiving God's presence in communion was actually the high point of worship. It was what everything drove towards in the service. Today, these disciples are walking along the road on their way back from the Passover festival in Jerusalem. Now, this is still, like I said, the resurrection day in Luke. And in fact, Jesus hasn't appeared to anyone in Luke so far. We just kind of have this idea that the tomb is empty. The disciples are consumed and sad. And as they are walking, they're recalling all of the events of the weekend. Kind of probably given a play-by-play of what took place. Wondering how it happened in the midst of it when they're thinking about Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. And how did things go south so quickly? They can't stop thinking about it and dwelling on it. It says that their faces were downcast as they walked along. And Jesus shows up and asks them what seems to be a silly question, right? What are you talking about as you walk along? That's the equivalent of asking someone on September twelfth, two 2001, what are you talking about on that day, right? As if, as if no one knew what happened. The disciples are probably like... Well, how do you? what do you mean you don't know what has just happened and what's transpired? Like, is your head under a rock, literally crazy man walking up to us on the side of the road? And the disciples are sad because they have put their hope that Jesus would be the redeemer of Israel, the one who would save them from the clutches of oppression, the one who would restore Israel to power. But then he died. And the disciples tell the story of Jesus back to Jesus, not knowing that it's him. The only problem is that they don't know the whole truth yet. They don't realize what the empty tomb meant because no one had seen Jesus yet. It's hard in life when hope becomes a past tense word. The disciples say in this text, we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. Usually we see the word hope and we are talking about the future. I hope I will get into that school. I hope I will be able to buy that house. I hope that I will have children one day. I I hope, right? It's a future-oriented type of thing. But here the disciples are deflated because hope died for them on the cross on Good Friday. We had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. Has hope ever died for you? Has hope in your life ever become something that is past tense? Jesus continues to walk with the disciples, and he begins to teach them. He shows them the necessity of the Christ suffering, and he interprets the scriptures to them. Literally, he says, all of the law and the prophets. This might have been a very slow and long walk with Jesus along the way. He is showing them how their Bible prophesies his own coming, his own suffering, right? And in fact, this crucifixion that they're talking about. And the disciples like this teaching. They like what this guy's putting down. They're kind of like, okay, we hear you. They're intrigued. And so they beg this man who is with them, who they don't know who it is yet, stay with us. The disciples want Jesus to stay with them. They still don't know who he is. Their eyes were blinded to understanding exactly who this man was, but they clearly want the presence of this man. They want more of his teaching. They want simply to be around them. And then at the meal, right, where you think Jesus would have been kind of brought in and said, hey, like, let's have some dinner together, and he's given the host or he's given given the guest seat, in that place, the guest of the meal all of a sudden becomes the host. For Jesus, it tells us, takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it and gives it to them. Immediately, their eyes are opened. They see who it is. They remember that in the feeding of the 5,000, it tells us that Jesus took the bread blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them, and all ate until they were filled just on those five loaves and two fish. They recall hearing about Jesus' last meal with his disciples just three nights before where he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. When we gather around this communion table, We remember that Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it. And we repeat this action together. And we see that Jesus was not just present with his disciples 2,000 years ago, but the risen Jesus meets us now, meets us here, meets us in those same actions. Even though these disciples didn't see the empty tomb, Jesus met them. He made himself known to them in the breaking of the bread. He revealed himself to them. So, what happens at communion? How does Jesus meet us today? The well, first thing I'd say is, is, is grace. Grace is simply a word that we, we, we sometimes throw around, or, but, but, but grace really just simply means God working in your life. Grace. And for me, this grace is not just in the words alone that gets said around communion, but there's grace in experience. Maybe it's in passing the peace with one another, Maybe it's in actually tangibly receiving the bread and the cup. It's in the whole of the liturgy and the practice, from confession to passing the peace to the great thanksgiving to receiving the bread to, to the prayer after communion. God meets us here at this place and at this time without necessarily anything spectacular or flashy about it. It's kind of ordinary. And that's when I think God shows up and works. It's grace. I think also what happens at communion is, is healing. Irenaeus, in the second century of the Christian church, called receiving the Eucharist, receiving communion, medicine for the soul. Medicine for the soul. When we receive communion, we can receive physical healing, emotional healing, relational healing. We can make those relationships right by that grace of God working in our life. You might find that sometimes you are led to pray around the altar because something drove you during that communion moment to pray for healing. Or maybe on behalf of someone else to pray for healing, to believe that God is still working and healing. I think how else Jesus meets us in the grace of communion is, is mystery. We can't perfectly explain what happens at communion. Our post enlightenment selves need mystery because we want in our world and in our brains, just because this is the world that we all have grown up in and are in, we want everything explained. A lot of times when we describe the work that happened on the cross and what Jesus did, those are known in our enlightenment world as atonement theories, like scientific explanations of exactly what happened on the cross and how you receive that action. But what happened on this day of Emmaus, when Jesus is walking with them, they don't know who he is, and then all of a sudden when he takes, blesses, breaks, and gives the bread, what happens on Emmaus is is mystery. They didn't recognize Jesus. He takes, blesses, breaks, gives the bread, and they do recognize Jesus. And he disappears. This is sacrament. Sacrament taps into this idea about mystery, that there is more here than just bread or wine. Y'all, that bread, like, we bought King's Hawaiian bread at Harris Teeter, okay? That's all it is. Now, That's some good bread. Like, it's really good. And when you don't have the king's one, you miss it. And for a while, they stopped making the round loaves. And we thought during COVID, it was going to disappear. And that was a great shame. But like, but it's just bread. Like, it's just, it's Welch's grape juice. Like, that's all it is. Like, we pour it. It sits in the fridge in there. Like, there's nothing, you know what I'm saying? Like, the thing itself It's not, like, magical. You could buy that at the store. Like, you could have that for, you could have a little, like, communion snack time at home. Like, you could get yourself a little roll and have some grape juice. That'd be fine. But this is more we're saying in sacraments and in mystery. This is more than snack time with Jesus here. It's more than a simple just remembering back to saying, Well, like, we remember that Jesus died, and so I guess we should do that. And for some reason, the preacher likes this a lot, so we do it every week, and good Lord, why do we do it so much and stuff like that? My prayer for you is that here in worship and all throughout your life, God would be revealing God's self to you and that in this moment, in this moment of grace, that the eyes of your heart will be opened and that you will allow the risen Jesus to break through. And so that if each week worship takes 10 minutes longer because we have a time of communing with the risen Jesus and there's a shot that for someone, God will meet them present through this action of receiving body and blood, well, then it's worth it every single time to offer that together. And that the Holy Spirit might move in really powerful ways Because we believe that in the same way that the risen Jesus appeared to those disciples, not not through preaching. He preaches to them for a long time. Is it then when they know him? No. It's as soon as he takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them. I find it fascinating. The disciples, right, they beg for Jesus to stay They've probably just heard like a six-hour lecture on the prophets, right, as he walks along with them. And they say, no, no, stay with us. They can't get enough. Sometimes we sit in church wondering if it can be over in, in under an hour, right? And yet the disciples begged for Jesus to stay in this moment. And then Jesus just disappears from the scene. And the reflection on that is incredible. Weren't our hearts on fire? Weren't our hearts on fire when he explained the word, to us there are three ways to know an event or there's there's a rehearsal that comes before the event you know a lot of my my children I have to practice piano now it's sort of part of the curse of living in my house and being born into it right and so I think it's good for you it's like taking your medicine like practicing piano whoever's done it is a relatively miserable exercise in self-discipline okay and like and, and and so it's practicing lots of things but especially like when you're in elementary school and your parents make you practice piano okay and 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 that rehearsal is hard because you don't know yet what the performance is going to look like. And especially when we don't know the songs we're preparing for, for the recital. Like, it's, man, it's hard. It's kind of a drag sometimes, right? And so, so we prepare for the event through, through rehearsal. There's the event itself that happens, right? And in the event itself, when the event of something happens, sometimes we are so caught up in the moment of the event that we don't, necessarily realize all that's happening in the event itself many of you have prepped for a wedding whether for your own wedding or for a loved one's wedding or something like that and when the wedding itself happened and it's done you breathe a sigh of relief and you say we just thought about that for like nine months and it's over like that right and we just spent half of our life savings but that's a whole nother conversation right but 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 the event itself Right? In the midst of it, you're saying hi to your friends, you're doing everything, your wife doesn't let you go up and get seconds because she says you have to talk to all the people, that didn't happen in my life. Um, and, and, um, and in the event itself, you're, you're, you're part of it, you're part of everything that's going on, but you, but you can't quite see what's happening. But then there's also the third part of an event, and there's the remembrance and the reflection on the event that has happened. And that's when the event makes the most sense to us. The disciples recognized who Jesus was when they remembered. It was when they were in the act of remembering. It wasn't just in the moment of the present. It was when they were in the act of remembering, and it's in that remembering that they were changed. Friends, we we remember every time we come to the table. We remember Jesus and his presence among us, but we also remember times when we've encountered Jesus in our own lives. In a sense, that word remember can also mean that we are remembered to one another. And so Jesus opens us up in relationships and through mystery of sacrament and of grace that God works in our lives somehow through that ordinary bread and grape juice that I'm talking about. Friends, in this moment, in communion, Jesus gives us himself. He makes his presence real to us in communion. Over and over and over again, we are there We're there with the disciples, and our imaginations can become enlivened in that moment. New words might pop out to you as well in the liturgy. And the grace of Jesus heals us in mysterious ways that will be made real to you. And in ways we can't fully grasp, in ways that we can't pin down exactly, Jesus is here. He might meet you to confess. There might be one of those times where he just, the Spirit just drives you to your knees and you realize that there is something you have to change. There is something you have to address. He might meet you to heal you. He might meet you to bring you peace. He might meet you to challenge you to step out in a way that makes you very uncomfortable. But he will meet you here in the breaking of the bread. So may our eyes, too, be opened today and as we remember that Jesus takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives himself to you. Amen.